0: God's people said, "Amen." You can be seated, Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter twenty-four. This morning, Luke chapter twenty-four. And as you're turning to Luke chapter twenty-four, let me just thank you again for the prayers for my wife and uh, for her family. Uh, that uh, for the cards, the flowers that just meant the world to us. I continue to pray for the family. Continue to pray for Mike's wife. Stephanie, uh, that God would just uh, comfort and strengthen her, move in her heart and life and as well as in the life of my wife and my father-in-law. So we're just so thankful for your love. It's so good during times like that to know what it means to be a part of a church and to have people who love you and are praying for you and can support us through those times. So thank you for that. Uh, Luke chapter 24 this morning. I was trying to figure out how to start this, and so I got a couple different ways, and none of them are really working. Amen. <laughs> but Luke chapter 24 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And so we're going to read verse 13 down to verse 35. haven't brought this. Look back, and I thought, uh, as I was looking and praying about what to preach this morning and asking God, just kind of the Spirit kind of nudged me and says, you haven't preached this yet. And I said, how have I not preached this yet? This is, one of the one, this is like one of my go-to messages. This is the one I love. And so I want to share that with us this morning and think about what church should look like. With that in mind, I want to tell a little story. A little story about little Johnny who was in school. It's always little Johnny. The story always starts with little Johnny. Amen. And so little Johnny was in school and the teacher was trying to teach him about the senses. Teaching the class about the senses. And so she called on little Johnny to use him as an example. Said little Johnny, uh, when we think about the senses, what, what would happen if you didn't have a nose? Little Johnny says, well, I suppose if I didn't have a nose, I wouldn't be able to smell. That's very good, it's very good. Little Johnny, what would happen if you didn't have a tongue? Said, Well, if I didn't have a tongue, I I probably wouldn't be able to taste. And she said, That's very good, Johnny. She said, Little Johnny, what would happen if you didn't have any ears? And Little Johnny said, Well, that's easy. If I didn't have any ears, I wouldn't be able to see. And she said, I don't think you heard me right. Let's try that again, Little Johnny. If you didn't have any ears, what would happen? He said, Well, if I didn't have any ears, I wouldn't be able to see. And she said, Johnny, I need you to explain that to me because I don't think that's right. He says if you didn't, how is it that if you didn't have any ears, you wouldn't be able to see? He said it's real easy. If I didn't have any ears, my hat would fall down over my eyes and I wouldn't be able to see. <laughs> well, now, and it's funny now, it's, and, and I say that, and all I can picture now is Brett with his hat, just wearing that, you know, so, but, but eyes covered. Anyways, there's a reason I tell that story. See, beloved, what we need to understand from Scripture is that hearing and seeing go together. If we're going to see things properly in this world, we have to hear from God. Amen. And so hearing affects our vision very much so in the word of God and we see that in the story this morning one of the most wonderful encounters in scripture and so it's after the resurrection so in Luke chapter 24 I'm going to start reading in verse 13 I think I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing for us this morning all the way down to verse 35 Luke chapter 24 verse 13 it says and behold I think I've shared this with you before, but if I haven't, let me do it again. If I haven't, let me do it now. If I have, let me do it again. If that makes sense, amen. All right, behold. It says, and behold. Whenever you see that word behold in the New Testament, it's a powerful Greek word. It doesn't just mean look. It means pay careful attention. It means that what's about to happen, there's a story, there's an illustration, there's something here that God wants us to know. I have yet to find an instance in the New Testament where the word behold is used that it isn't followed by an incredible spiritual truth of some kind. That word is not used lightly in Scripture. Amen. And so this story begins, and behold, Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now this is after the crucifixion. It's after the resurrection. But they didn't understand it. We're going to see that in the story in just a moment. They're discussing what's happened, who Jesus was, his life, everything about him. The fact that now the tomb is empty. And so in verse 15, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Don't miss that word reasoned. Don't miss that word reasoned. This, this, these two men are thinking upon something significant that had just happened. We live in a day when, when men don't want to reason anymore. You start talking about the resurrection, they just dismiss it. Well, that's just a myth. That didn't really happen. As, as I shared w- uh, with my wife when I was a school bus, uh, school, driving a school bus a year ago, we, we had a field trip, and during the field trip, we dropped off the kids, we went to Chick-fil-A to eat, and we were sitting around the table, me and three, uh, there was four other ladies, school bus drivers, one who I knew was a Christian, the other three not so much so, and somebody made a comment about something, and I, and I made the statement, well, it'll all be better one day. And I remember the lady very clearly said, I know you ain't talking about Jesus, he was just a... Fiction, just a piece of fiction. He, he wasn't real. He's just a myth. Now, I started to respond, but before I could, the lady who was sitting beside me said, you know he's a pastor, right? <laughs> At which point, the lady who made the comment quickly kind of got very flushed. Well, I, I, I don't. It doesn't matter. I don't care. And, I said, and, 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 and so I sort of let it go. I said, it will get better one day. And we, the conversation quickly changed. But see, these men were reasoning together. They were having this discussion about what had happened. And it says that Jesus drew near. So these two men are walking, and Jesus comes up walking beside him. And they're walking, and they're conversing, and here he is walking beside him. Maybe a little bit behind him, don't know, but it took a while because they didn't realize he was there. And when they did realize he was there, they didn't know who he was because in verse 16 it says their eyes were holding that they shouldn't know him. They couldn't see who he was. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Of the King James wording. What is is this deep dialogue you're having with such sadness in your voice? And verse 18 says, Cleopas, one of them whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are you a just Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Uh, Have you not known the things which have come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And then verse 21 is powerful. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Oh, catch that. When is this happening? You see, we've just read in, in verse... We didn't read, but in verse, chapter 24 all the way up to verse 11 tells the story of the resurrection, how they went to the tomb. These men hadn't heard that news yet. So it's okay that they're a little bit concerned that they don't know. All they know is that Jesus was supposed to deliver them. He's been crucified. And as far as they know, he's been dead for three days. But oh, they're about to find out something completely different. Amen. And so the Bible says... That we thought for sure that it would be him. And it's been three days now. Note that word had. Verse 22. Yea, and certain women also were astonished which came early to the sepulcher and said they didn't find the body. But it also a vision of the angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women certain of us. Not them, certain of us, two of them. It's all hearsay for them at this point. Three days. He's been crucified. They're telling us the tomb is empty. But they haven't seen it for themselves. That's important. And so verse 25, Jesus, tenderly understanding the situation, gently looks at them and says, you fools, (laughs) and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I love that. He doesn't waste any time. He just says, how do you not know what's happened? You're asking me, do I not know what's going on? You're the ones who thought he would be the Messiah. You knew he would come. You heard the stories. You know all this. It's been three days and you really, they've told you the tomb is empty. You haven't seen it. You don't. Do you, are you really the ones that don't understand what's going on here? And so the Bible says in verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He went to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets. He went to the Old Testament in all the scriptures. I don't know what scriptures he used. I don't know how long this conversation was. But it was a long time because he took the Old Testament and he began to show them everything the Old Testament taught about Jesus. A little bit of what we tried to do a couple weeks ago when we looked at the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. When we looked at the calling of a bride. when we looked at at how our natures affect us in the Old and New Testament, uh, Jesus runs through all of Scripture. You take Jesus out of the Bible, and we have no message. Amen. And so he showed them everything. And in in verse 28, it says, They drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. I love that. They get to where they're going, and, they, and they're going to their house, and Jesus starts to go a different direction. He's like, okay, I've got I've to go over here. And the Bible says, verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Now, don't miss that. It's not like, hey, why don't you come have dinner with us? Okay, I'll do that. No, note that word, constrained him. Constrained him. They, and, and I don't want to overread the passage, but the word carries this meaning. I don't think they surrounded him. I don't think they grabbed each arm. One of them grabbed an arm and said, no, you're coming with us. But that's what that word constrained means. Whatever they said to him, however they impressed him uh, upon him that they wanted him to come with them, they did it in such a way that he had no other choice but to go with them. Please don't miss that, beloved. Jesus staying with them didn't have anything to do with where Jesus wanted to go or do. It had everything to do with these men wanting Jesus to stay with them. They constrained him. There's another word, that words used in the New Testament and other places, it talks about we are constrained by the Holy Spirit. We are, we are moved in a path that God wants us to go. That's a powerful word. Verse 30, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Oh, and then verse 31. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another. Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. Now they're in on it. They've seen it. They've met him. But, oh, beloved, when did they really see what they needed to see? When did they really grasp what they needed to grasp and know who Jesus was? It wasn't when they saw him and walked with him. It was as their hearts burned within the way and he spoke with them. And then in the house he does one last thing. He takes the bread and he blesses it and gives it to them. In that moment they saw who he was and, was and understood and then he disappeared. And so they go back and they're telling the disciples, this is real. Jesus is alive. Amen. So here's the thing that I want you and I to look at this morning. And I've got five things I want to share with us. I'm going to share it with us quickly. I want to bring this into us this morning. I want to think about this text this morning. What do you look for when you come to church on Sunday morning? Or for those churches that have church on Sunday night or Wednesday night, when we go to Sunday school, when we have a Bible study class, when we come together in the body of Christ, what is it that we are wanting? What do we want to experience? What are we expecting? Beloved, I want to suggest to you that especially on Sunday morning, the primary time of worship in the life of the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America, uh, that on Sunday morning when we come together, our desire should be nothing less than to hear the word of God in such a powerful way that our hearts burn within us and we want to spend as much time with Jesus as possible. (laughs) And, and, And beloved, look at verse 21. The Bible says, we trusted that it had been He which should deliver Israel. Too many of us, beloved, come to church on Sunday morning and we're living in a past hope. We're, we're, living in the, we're living in the past, where, what we had hoped. Well, I had expected this and what we thought. And I can just go ahead and tell you, beloved, can I just go ahead and let us know that your life and mine is not going to work out the way you and I thought it was going to work out. Just go ahead and take that off the table. Amen. Everything you hoped and expected is going to be different. You might get a few things, but by and large, your life ain't going to look the way you thought your life was going to look. God has a plan completely different than you and I. Amen. So don't live in the past and what we'd hoped and what we'd expected. Don't live in the past. Don't live by what, listen, oh beloved, don't listen by what tradition tells us. Don't listen to what denominations tell us. Quit living in the past. Live in the present. The Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is alive. It moves and it breathes and it speaks to us as much today if not more than yesterday. And we shouldn't settle for anything less than that. We are not beloved. We are told that that our hope is not a past hope. Our hope is a present hope. We have a present hope. And in 1 Thessalonians, we are told to sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We are to be always ready to give an answer, 1 Peter 3.15, for the hope that is within us. Not the hope we had, but the hope we have right now. Don't get so hung up in the past and forget that right now you're a child of God. You have hope. Your your life has a purpose and meaning. They knew something of the third day, but they didn't know enough. How many times did Jesus tell the disciples that he would rise again after three days? I did a study once, and I counted ten different times in the New Testament that Jesus said, and some of those are repetitious of one gospel telling the same story the other gospel told, but but at least for us in the recorded word we have, it's like the gospel writers didn't want us to miss it, so they recorded it, even if another gospel writer recorded it, but at least ten times, and I probably missed some others, where Jesus said, the Son of Man must be crucified, and after the third day he will rise again. He told them, he told me, I'm going to rise, I'm going to rise, I'm going to be crucified. I mean, even when he didn't give him a day, the Son of Man, I'm going to be crucified and I will rise. I will be back. It's going to be okay. And then when he died, they were like, that's it. It's the end. It's all over. Like, not one of them got it. And it took seeing and experiencing something different in their lives. Beloved, don't get so hung up in the past that, we, that what we look at and think is defeat is actually victory. Amen. Now, in verse 25, verse 25 it says, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of hearts, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. As we know Isaiah tells us that the, that, that, that the Messiah would be, that he would suffer, that he would be broken, that by his stripes we'd be healed, that, that by, his, by his wounds our iniquities would be washed away and our sins would be covered. We understand that, but they couldn't grasp all of the understanding of the Old Testament that Jesus came not just to give us victory over the flesh and over this world and he didn't come beloved just to give us victory over governments and politics but thank god he does that amen He came to give us victory over this world as a whole and to give us something that was eternal and would last forever and goes beyond the bounds of race and politics and nationality. And that's why when the Gospel writers and the New Testament writers write and when Paul wrote in the New Testament, he said that he has taken out of all of us, all of the many of us, and he has made us one body because there's one God, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of all, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight Jesus loves the little children of the world he loves us old codgers too amen (laughs) doesn't matter who you are Jesus died for you now that's introduction let me give you the five things quickly this morning number one we need preachers teachers and leaders in the church will engage the full counsel of the word of God. You see that again in verse 25, all that the prophets have spoken. I grow so weary of hearing people tell me, and I've heard it way too many times in my life, of how I'm a Christian. I live in the New Testament. I don't need the Old Testament. Well, you know my stand on that. Amen. Beloved, you just threw out half of God's word for your life when you dismissed the Old Testament. And the reality is you and I know the New Testament doesn't make sense unless we See, the Old Testament led up to it. And, and that's where the real victory comes in. And so we need preachers, teachers, and counselors who will engage the whole Word of God. We need in our churches men who will stand up and who will lead us as pastors and preach and teach the Word of God. Sunday school teachers, leaders in the church, and our Bible study groups, men and women who love the Word of God and love Jesus and want to preach and teach the truth to us. Not part of it, but all of it. Even the passages we don't like. All the prophets and all of the law. Amen. Even those passages that talk about how we're supposed to not be bitter. And right now we're living in a day when men like to be bitter. We're told to forgive even though we're living in a day when men don't want to forgive. My wife and I had this conversation the other day, beloved. It's, it's amazing how a man, I think I shared it even on the Wednesday night Bible study, or one of the devotions, how a man can live his whole life and look so make one mistake And that mistake suddenly defines his entire life. Now, to be sure, you can make a mistake that's so great and so significant, it completely changes the course of your life. But it doesn't erase the good you've done in your past, and it doesn't change the opportunities to do more good in the future. We're living in a day, beloved, when we look at things that men did, not even today, but years ago, and we don't know how to forgive that. We don't know how to look at a man today and realize he's not the same today that he was yesterday because we don't know how to look at a man through the lens or through the eyes of Jesus. And we're not looking through the eyes of Jesus because we're not listening to the Word of God. There's no room, no place in the heart of a Christian for unforgiveness and bitterness. There's no room for that. There's no room for sin in the as we we need preachers who will stand up and say to us on Sundays, even when we don't like it and whether we we don't think we need it or if we know we need it but we don't like it, we're gonna try to ignore it. We need preachers who will stand up and say that 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 there's a problem in the church, there's a problem in the world, and then name the problem. Amen. See, one preacher said that you got some churches they don't even use the word sin anymore. Big churches. Got T V shows and everything. Never hear the preacher use the word sin. you had got other preachers that stand up. They'll talk about sin, but then they won't name them. You need to ask God to forgive you for your sins. I love that. I heard a preacher say one time, we get on our knees, we pray, we ask God. This is a routine. We do this. We're good Baptists. And Father, we, we go through our prayer, and then at some point we say, and Father, forgive me for my sins. And I'll never forget the preacher stopped and he looked. He said, you ever prayed that and stopped long enough to listen to God as he responded by saying, which one? What is it that we really want forgiveness for? Forgive me for my sins. I'm not going to name them. Why? Because I plan on doing them again tomorrow. No, beloved, we need the whole counsel of the Word of God. We need men and who will stand up and preach the truth to us and tell us who Jesus is. And he came to deliver us from all of that. That's the first thing. Me, the second thing. We need an encounter. We not only need preachers and teachers who will give us the full counsel of the Word of God, but we need an encounter with the risen Lord. Our God is not in the grave. In spite of what Nietzsche said, and I shared this with you before, uh, Nietzsche, the old philosopher, the the philosopher who said that God is dead, and he meant that in a number of different ways. The concept of God is dead, the power of God is dead. He meant that in a number of different ways, but he believed that God is dead. And I told you before about the the guy I saw wearing the t-shirt, Then on the front of it in big letters it said, God is dead. And underneath you saw Nietzsche, its name was signed Nietzsche. God is dead, Nietzsche, but as he walked away on the back of the shirt, it said Nietzsche is dead and it was signed God. <laughs> oh beloved, I'm not sure that's the most tactful way to approach the situation. But the reality is man can say all he wants that God is dead. We sing the song I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living no matter what men may say. Amen. We need an encounter with the risen Lord. When you come to church on Sunday morning, my prayer for you and every church across this nation and around the world, when we come to church, we might you might you might have drugged yourself in this morning. Somebody might have drugged you in this morning. You might have not felt like getting up, but you got up and you're here. Maybe there's people watching online. They said, you know, I couldn't make it to church, but at least I'm gonna turn on and watch it. And you you're you're dragging and and you feel just weighted down by the world, but by the time that any service is over, we ought to feel more alive and refreshed because we've been in the presence of the risen Lord than when we walked in. We ought to walk out with a pep to our step that we didn't have when we came in. Nobody at churches, they meet on Sunday morning and they come in too many churches. They come in divided, they leave divided. That is not what God wants. And that will change, beloved, when you get the preaching of the word of God. Amen. We need to know we serve a risen Savior. A living faith requires a living God. Verse 26, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Number three, we need to be a people constrained for and by the presence of God. We have to stop looking for ways and making excuses to dismiss ourselves from God's presence. Verse 29, They constrained Him. I don't know how many times I've walked out of church and I thought, well, God wasn't there. And the Holy Spirit nudged me. I've done that too many times in my life. The Holy Spirit nudged me and said, is it God who wasn't here? Or maybe you who weren't really here. You see, so you can be present this morning physically. but it doesn't mean we're ready to receive truth from God. Amen. You see, the presence of God has more to do with our desire to have the presence of God than we realize and maybe even want to admit. So I just don't feel like God's present in my life. I'll ask you this question quickly. And this is what I talked about preaching stuff. We, you know, we need preachers who'll preach stuff to us even if we don't like it. <laughs> so I just don't feel like God's been present in my life enough lately. Well, let me ask you the question. How much time have you, have you spent constraining him to be in your life? How much time have we spent the moment you realize, the moment you begin to feel that way, and the moment we begin to feel that way, beloved, we, we, we can't just dismiss that. We need to stop and go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm going this way and God's going this way, one of two things has to happen. I need to turn and go the right way with him or I need to get him to make sure that he is staying with me. But in no, at no time in your life and mine and in no way should we ever allow ourselves to be going a different direction from the presence and power of our risen Savior. Amen. We need to constrain him. We need to pray. How much, oh, I'll hit this one and I'll move on. How much time did you spend in prayer last night praying for the service this morning? Constraining God ahead of time that he would show up in this service. How much time this morning? I get up, oh, we got time, hit hit McDonald's or Burger King, get a biscuit. Oh, grab my coffee. You know, and we come to church another another Sunday, you know, got my, how are you oh, how are, how are you in church? Say, well, I didn't have time to get my biscuit this morning, so things aren't going well. Oh, because the service completely revolves around whether or not we get a biscuit. Beloved, when was the last time we constrained him to be with us and not to depart? Number four, we need God to speak to his people so that our hearts burn for more of him and his word verse 32 i love this verse and they said one to another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures if the preacher's preaching the word of god and it's not moving us or affecting us then there's something wrong in our life amen and i'll never forget when i went to a pastor's conference several years ago and i heard dr sinclair ferguson he preached from this passage And he preached it, and to this day, every time I preach it, I I, I try, but I know I can never preach it the way he did. But as a pastor sitting out there listening to another pastor in a pastor's conference preach from this passage, he came to this verse, and he made it very clear that when you finish preaching, when you say amen, and when you close the Word of God and the service concludes... You should not celebrate anything you have done as a pastor or said unless the people leaving say our hearts burned within us while the preacher preached the word of God. Did not our hearts burn within us? We had to long for that. And you come to church and the preacher's preaching you don't feel that. You don't fix that by going up to the preacher afterwards and telling him. We fix that through prayer amen we fix that by going to god and, and asking god to fill the preacher with his spirit and give him a knowledge of the word that when he speaks to us our hearts burn within us and here's the thing last thing this morning i'll throw this in real quick we ought to live to the, we ought to live in such a way that we can't wait to read the bible we can't wait to get to church did not our hearts burn within us you ought to leave sunday morning saying man i can't that was good god moved i can't wait till next time we get together amen Man, every time you come together, and when you come together and God doesn't move, that should be an anomaly, and that should cause a mild panic in our life. Wait a minute, I'm not used to this. We showed up and something was off. We can't let that happen again. Amen. Too many churches slowly decline into the status quo, and they look back and they realize that for years no one's been burning with the Word of God anymore. Don't ever let that happen. Here's the last thing this morning, beloved. We need fellowship. We need fellowship with each other, and we need fellowship with Jesus. And I love this. We can't have the fellowship we're supposed to have with each other until we have the right fellowship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what did these men say? They said, uh, stay with us. They constrained him to stay with us, and he stayed with them. And the Bible says that, that he... Um, that he um, I lost my place. The Bible says that he went in to tarry with them in verse 30. It came to pass as he sat at meat with them. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. So number one, he sat with them. Number two, he shared a meal with them. Number three, he shared a blessing with them. And then in that moment, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Now, I feel like there should be a verse in between verse 31 and verse 32 where they, went, where they scoured the house. Where do he go? What happened? Don't go. Come back. Please don't come back. Amen. But they were so excited and overwhelmed by the fact that, number one, they'd heard the word of God. They'd been in the presence of Jesus. Oh, don't miss this, beloved. They couldn't wait to get out and tell somebody else what they had just experienced. They didn't cling to Jesus in that moment and keep him for themselves. They went to the disciples. They went to the upper room. They went where the 11 and the others were, the ones who had already been telling the story. They went in and they said, you are not going to believe this. Guess who we just had dinner with? Jesus. And in that moment, their experience with Jesus And their own struggles, because remember, they'd heard the story, but they didn't see it until they had their encounter. Now you've got these disciples, and they're still debating it. They're still not sure about it. And so now you have two groups that are both unsure. Both have seen things they don't understand. But it's when they come together and share their experiences with Jesus that both of them increase in their confidence and their knowledge of their victory that Jesus has given them. It's what I've been saying to you for a year. It's when the whole body of Christ comes together and we serve each other and we love each other and we share with each other what God has done in your life because you don't know the day that you share it may be the day that causes somebody to go, now I get it. Now I understand. And they put their faith in Jesus. Amen. Let me close with this. We need fellowship. We need to come together. We need to know not only that we're together, but that when we're together, God is together with us. God is in the midst of us. So that when we leave, and I love this, and I didn't read it, but I'll go ahead and read verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And then in verse 37, but they were terrified and afraid and thought that they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do these thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see I have. And when he spoke and he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of fish and honeycomb. And isn't it funny? How when the church eats together, fellowship seems to be at its best. Amen? We think think this is just something Baptists do. We just like to eat. No, you know, you know that there is something about sitting around the table with one another in the presence and power of Christ that draws us closer together. Amen? Amen. And, and there's a reason why, beloved, for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples in numerous ways at numerous times because it took 40 days for the disciples to start getting the fact that Jesus is really alive. Beloved, I pray that when we come to church, we, we hear the word of God and our hearts burn within us. But I pray that that's just a foundation for all that God is doing in our life so that we come to the place where we no longer live in the past, the had hoped, what we did think, maybe this, when we come to the place where we know for a surety and a certainty that Jesus is alive, that he is risen from the dead, that he died for my sins, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and one day I have this present hope that one day that either either I'm going to pass from this world through death or the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the trump of God, and we will be caught up together to meet him in the air and forever we will be with the Lord. Boy, when the church begins to live like that, what a difference we can make in this world. Amen. Let's pray.